Dear Lord, as we do gather before each other, and more importantly, even before your presence here today, we do thank you, Lord, that you have something that you want to fill our hearts with. <coughs> and I thank you, dear God. <coughs> I thank you, Lord, that you do intend to fill us to the brim and even over with your heart and your truth, your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you, Lord. We do pray, dear God, that you'll be upon us in a very real and powerful way here today. And I do pray, dear God, that uh, your uh, love will just be totally expressed, dear God, as we saw in these last couple of weeks, but we see it again. And as we then venture forth even from this day and, and look at some of the um, scripture passages that talk about Jesus and who he is, I do believe you'll make it crystal clear crystal clear, so that we will indeed be ready for what comes ahead. And I want to thank you for that, dear God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Jean McGeorge was driving down Interstate 70 when she was pulled over by a highway patrolman for speeding. Tell me, she said, how did you know I was speeding? The patrolman did not even look up from his pad, but he simply just pointed up to the sky to indicate that a traffic helicopter had actually caught her. Misunderstanding this, Jean's reply was, you mean he's turned against me too? Okay, it was funnier than that. Want me to redo it again? Okay. Gene McGeorge. No? <laughs> okay. All right. I think maybe that's a, it's a good way to kind of segue to something back before and something coming up. And what I mean by that is to recognize that there's more to it than just zeroing in on two or three verses or 10 verses or 15 verses or whatever. There's, there's, we need to go back, and we're going to then take that forward. That's what I'm getting at. She misunderstood, and a lot of people misunderstood, uh, misunderstand the uh, things that we're talking about here today, uh, about the promises of God. That's why we want to go back just a hair and go ahead and bring it all together as one thing. Okay. First of all, I want to go back just very, very briefly to the story of King Herod sending the uh, wise men to Bethlehem and then in the process sent a bunch of soldiers, officers, uh, to um, destroy the young babies in Bethlehem. Some people suggest it could have been anywhere from a dozen to two dozen babies at that time for the population that there would have been in the area there could have been a dozen to two dozen uh, babies that had been killed. Uh, I, wanted to go, I wanted to come back to that because I wanted to be very, very clear about it. I, I would not even want to try to suggest that God caused that to happen. He did not. He did not cause it. He knew it was going to happen, okay? And he allowed it to happen. 
and he knew it was coming down the road, all right? But the thing is, the fact of the matter is, there are people that insist on doing evil things. None of us are old enough to really remember World War II and things with, you know, Hitler and Germany and the six million Jews that were killed and all of that kind of thing, okay? None of us are really old enough to remember that, but if you've looked at history at all, you know what happened, and you know what happened with Nero, and you know what happened with Diocletian, and you know what happened with so many other situations and circumstances and, and uh, rulers and dictators and so forth really all over the world throughout the centuries. There are just people that insist on not following God, not doing things God's way, and are, have evil living in their hearts. And they want it that way. They, they, they want to be against what God has to say. All right? So it's not God causing it to happen. It's not like God says, oh, goody, goody, two dozen babies were killed last night. That's, I'm just trying to be very, very clear that he allowed it to happen because people have free will. People have free will. And so did Hitler and so did Herod, and so did Diocletian. They had free will, and they chose to be against what God has to say. And a lot of death and destruction and heartache and pain, you know, ensues because of that, okay? I just want to be very, very clear. I'm not even, try I'm not even beginning trying to uh, suggest that God caused it. Because he allowed it does not mean he caused it. God did allow it. God did not stop it to happen. Those planes that flew into those buildings back in September 11th, I told you before, it would be a pretty easy thing to stop that if he just changed all their alarm clocks. God can do that. Certainly God can do that. But he didn't. And Osama bin Laden and, and, and these other people that are out to, to destroy uh, God and Christian, I mean, the biblical God and Christianity and so forth will do about anything to do so. But that doesn't mean God caused it. Okay? I'm just trying to be real clear. Don't even think for a minute that I'm trying to suggest that. I guess, I guess as I think back on things we talked about, I guess I didn't, I don't know that I really made that crystal clear. I think it's crucial to understand. God did allow it. Now, why did God allow it when it came to Jesus and, you know, and then they, you know, Jesus or uh, Joseph has a dream and in that dream, he's told to get down to Egypt with Mary and the baby. And they do. And he's one of these guys, he doesn't wait till the next day. He doesn't wait till the weekend. He goes ahead and, and gets up in the middle of the night and plows down to Egypt and got out of there in time. Praise the Lord. Because, I mean, he was even told that, he, that, the, that the, uh, uh, he's looking to kill Jesus. There are people that are looking to kill Jesus. Jesus, okay? So really, God allowing those babies to die actually served to protect Jesus. 
because Herod would then think that he got Jesus. He didn't know they escaped down into Egypt. He, they, he, would, he would normally assume that he did get Jesus. If he killed everybody from two years and younger, okay, then he knows he, 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 took, he got his way. He took care of it. Now, he's wrong, okay? He's wrong, but that would end up protecting Jesus. Now, is there any higher calling for any one or 10 or 15 or 20 of those babies than to keep Jesus alive, than to protect Jesus so he didn't get killed? Because if he gets killed, he can't save people from their sin. I don't know that there's any higher calling than to be one of those babies. I hope you get what I'm saying. I hope, I hope you understand. He did not cause it, but he used it. He allowed it to protect Jesus. Okay, so that's going backwards. All right? What about going forwards? I wonder if you're, if you're there at chapter 4, this is good, because I want you to see something. This is why I didn't just read from chapter 4. If you go back before chapter 4 and you're into chapter 3, what happens? All of a sudden, this is after the wise men. This is after the babies were killed. This is after Jesus finally ends up in Nazareth and become, becomes Jesus of Nazareth. After that, chapter 3, we start hearing about John the Baptist. And how he came and he was preaching in the wilderness. And repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It says in verse 2. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And it describes who the John was. John of course is not the gospel writer. This is John the Baptist. Different fellow altogether. Okay. And this is Jesus' cousin. This is, this is uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's boy. A little bit older than Jesus, six months or so older than Jesus. He gets out into the wilderness and he's pointing the way to Jesus. He says, I'm baptizing with water. But verse 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And baptism is a, a physical picture of a spiritual reality of being immersed. Okay? It's not just sprinkled. It's not just dabbed. It's not just, you know, it's immersion. Okay? To be immersed in the Holy Spirit with, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay? All right. And then we come into the baptism of Jesus. I'll go over that real quickly. Watch this. Then cometh, verse 13, then cometh uh, Jesus from Galilee to Jordan, Jordan uh, unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. I mean, listen, Jesus, if anybody needs to be baptized, it's me, certainly not you. You're the son of God. But Jesus says, suffer it to be so now. Suffer means permit it. Permit it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then it says, then he suffered him. Okay? Meaning he permitted him. 
he went ahead and did it. Baptized Jesus. Jesus wanted to be identified with all of the people. And so like they were all coming into the river to be baptized, he came into the river to be baptized. Okay? And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Watch this. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Doesn't actually say a dove came down and sat on his shoulder, but came down like a dove. Okay? I mean, it could have been, but it doesn't say that. Anyway, and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, I don't need to dwell on this because I've talked about this many, many times. The fact of the matter is all three persons of the Godhead are there at the baptism. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all there. So when people try to tell you they don't believe in the Trinity, they need to get into Matthew 3. And there are many other places that make it clear that God does express himself in three different ways. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus even said so. Okay? He's the one that said that, you know, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen? And so what do people do with that? Well, you know what they got to do with it. If they don't want to believe he actually said it and that it's actually true, they say somebody else added that later. That's what the liberals do. They go through and they find things that they have to add it here and add it there. This was added 200 years later. This was added 300 years later, 500 years later, whatever. So they get out of listening to Jesus. They think they are, but that doesn't work. All right? I've got a... Uh, I got a quote from Tozer that I wanted to share with you. I want you to listen very, very carefully. It should pop up pretty quickly here. That's it. Okay. Now listen, listen pretty carefully to what he says. We might remember singing a little Sunday school chorus that says, every promise in the book is mine. But we sometimes neglect to realize that it is one thing to believe a promise and quite another thing to appropriate it into our lives. In other words, to live the promise. You know, you can read it, you can describe it, you can whatever, but has it become life within us? Anyway, he goes on to say, he says, it is one thing to make a promise, but it is quite another to be able to carry it out. And Jesus has done just that. Any promise, watch this, any promise that God ever made, he has to overfill it. This is Tozer now. He has to overfill it. Now, listen carefully, because he's going to explain why, what he means by that. The reason being that God is so great, his heart is so kind, his desire is so intense and so tremendous that language, as we know it, cannot express it. Not the Greek, not the Hebrew, 
not the English, not the Latin, nor any other language can adequately express God and his promises. I mean, we're kind of restricted to language in in terms of what we can speak. That's why he wants these things lived. So it's something visible that comes from the life, from a life given and a life lived. That's why. It's, It's not so that we can feel really, really good about ourselves. That's not what it is. It's so other people can see God being lived. That's why we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, being immersed in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that makes it possible for us to live for God. Okay? All right? Jesus has given a way to overfill the promises of God. I mean, he's done it many, many times, and he wants us to also see life that way and live life that way. So let's see, first of all, how Jesus did it. I want you to notice that his ministry starts on an up note. I was trying to think of another way to put that, and I can't think of it. <laughs> on, a, on a positive slant, okay? You're in chapter 3. Now, this is, right after the, this is right after Christmas. So this is the start of the ministry, and you're talking about John the Baptist, Okay? And, uh, you know, he's, I'm going to baptize, I baptize you with water, but Jesus is going to come along and he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And baptism, of course, referring to an immersion. That's what it means. It's what the word means. Baptizo, to be dunked down, to be immersed. That's what it is. Okay? So it starts on an up note. You've got his baptism. And as I mentioned, and I don't need to say it again, but I'll bring it all together The Trinity is fully present with absolutely no opposition. I think this is so cool because this is the beginning of his ministry and you would think if people were against what they they know is going to come out of this guy, okay, already because it's from early on, you'd think they'd be there to thwart it. You'd think they'd be there to, you know, to come against it. I mean, they did when it came to the end of his ministry. Look at... uh, Look at when uh, Jesus, or uh, yeah, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, right? And he had that parade going on, you know, and he comes in and what? Pharisees off to the side said, hey, Jesus, stop your followers from, pray, from, from doing what they're doing and lifting up the Lord and so forth. Stop them from doing this. And Jesus said, if they stopped, the stones themselves would have to proclaim it. The rocks themselves would scream it out. The Trinity is fully present here with no opposition, no religious leaders to gripe, no religious leaders to complain, no naysayers suggesting that he is being presumptuous. Nobody's standing there writing down every word he says so they can, you know, they can come back at him later and, and get after him. Okay, no, no, none of that's going on. He's, he's just there in the river and all three persons of the Trinity are right there, including him, okay? But then comes chapter four. All right, so we got a very positive note 
I tried, I tried putting in my notes here the word, um, I th where is it now? It's here somewhere. Uh, no, I don't see it now. Uh, posit positively? No, I, don't, I can't remember exactly how I put it. But I tried changing it, tried to make it into a real word, you know, so it doesn't have the red squiggly line under it, you know, and it's not a word, okay? But you know what I'm getting at. There was, there's no opposition going on here. There's no griping. There's no complaining. He's, he's, he's getting by with what God calls him to do. Praise the Lord, okay? Anyway, when it gets to chapter 4, it appears to be a different story. Now, I, I say it appears to be a different story. Watch this. Verse 1. This is chapter 4. And this is really what I want to take a look at here today. Okay? Jesus was led up. And I know a lot of people, I've heard actually people say that he was led into the wilderness by Satan. And then Satan, you know. No, that's not what it says. It says he was led up by the Spirit. Okay? Capital S. We're talking Holy Spirit. That Jesus was led up of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tempted of the devil or by the devil. All right? And this led up means to bring or to lead up again, to carry and take up. It means to be offered up as a sacrifice. And right away we back up and we think, wait a minute, a sacrifice? Well, you know, where in the world did all of the positivity, that's, what, that's the word I had, positivity, it's evidently not an actual word. I like it, and I think we could go ahead, and, you know, positively is more the word with the L-Y on the end. Anyway, what about the positivity? <laughs> okay, the, where in the world did all that go? Now we're talking sacrifice. We're talking about temptation. And not, and not only that, but he's going to be, we had crowds all over the place at the baptism. Now it's him and Satan up on top of that mountain or wherever it, exactly it was. In the wilderness, that's all it says, in the wilderness. So he's all alone with Satan. And right away we think, oh boy, is this going to be a kicker? You know, is he going to get walloped here? You know, it's Satan against him. Okay? Look at verses 2 and following. Look at 2, and, two 3, and 4. That's, that's good. 2, 3, and 4. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. That's the way the King James puts it. He was starving. 40 days and 40 nights, you'll be practically not making it. You'll be just... Now, he would have had to have had... I mean, physically speaking, he would have had to have something to drink or to have some water because people don't live 40 days and 40 nights without nothing, okay? But we're not told all about that. And when the tempter came, okay... To him, this is what he said. He said, if thou be the son of God. Isn't that the problem today? That's the line for temptation. That's when somebody's trying to, 
you know, get you to be, to see yourself as being wrong. If, if, you know, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I think it's interesting. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. You don't have to turn there. I'll just give it to you. It says he was tempted in every way as we are, but he was without sin. All right? See, that's what temptation is. It's trying to get you to sin. It's trying to get you to stumble. All right? And Jesus wouldn't do it. Jesus wouldn't do it. He was without sin. I guess it's easy to see the promises of God when you're in a setting of spiritual, religious ritual. You're standing there in the river and you got the Baptist right next to you and you're, and you're being baptized. You know, down he goes, down he goes. I mean, I'm, some people, they argue about that even now today. Do you get dunked once or do you get dunked three times, you know? And there are people that swear up and down, it's got to be once. And there are other people that swear up and down, it's got to be three times or you're not really baptized. And they're just making a mockery, I think. They're not trying to, but that's about what it amounts to. They're making a mockery of what God's trying to do with this immersion uh, pictured of the Holy Spirit. It's easy to see the promises of God in the baptism, but we get a little bit more baffled when it comes to this time of temptation. I mean, where are the promises now, Jesus? Here you are out in the wilderness. You're starving to death. You can't hardly stand it. You're doubled over. You're in pain. You might not even be standing. You, you might even have to you know, lie back on a rock or on the ground or or just exactly whatever. I mean, I don't know about you, but I kind of picture, you know, the famous painting of the uh, time that Jesus spent in Gethsemane, you know, when he's got up against this great big rock and he's kneeling down before the rock. Got his hands above the rock and he's praying. You know, you've seen the picture before. All right, I kind of picture, I don't know if he's able to even stand because there are people that have gone on hunger strikes and have purposely done this kind of thing and they're not far from death at this point. Quite frankly, in the word, every time Jesus answers, he answers from the Bible. Okay, he does. I'll show you that in a minute. But first of all, I wanted to mention that in the last couple of weeks, I've used the life of Moses just briefly by way of illustration. In the last two weeks, I believe it's been now. And I, I want to do that again here today to, to reveal this, okay? Um, the question then becomes for all of us, have you, have you ever been faced with a serious setback along the road of obedience? You are following God, you're seeking his will, and then, bang, disaster. Disaster strikes. That's what happened with Moses.
Do you remember? He was on his way back to Egypt with his wife and his family. And he was all set to confront Pharaoh. And then he became so ill that he thought he was dying. He wasn't far from death at that point. In Moses' case, and sometimes in ours too, the problem was that an old sin hadn't been addressed. He had been so busy gearing up for God's plan or God's program. Remember, he even thought from the very beginning, God's going to use me to free these people. So in other words, then he can go ahead and do it in his own strength. He can do it in his own thinking. No, 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 no. You need to follow God's leading. So busy gearing up for God's program, for his plan, that he had neglected a matter of obedience in his own family life. He had failed to circumcise his son. Now, does that seem like too small of a thing for God to worry about? Does that sound even petty? Does it seem like a little thing? It was not a little thing in the sight of God because once again, it had meaning. It had meaning. The circumcision is the cutting away of the flesh. You're no longer living by your own thinking and your own strength and your own heart. There's got to be a cutting away of the fleshly thinking. Okay? All right. If you make up your mind that you want God's best for your life, if you commit to seek and follow his will, if God's blessings matter more to you than really anything else, then God will hold you to it. He'll make you see that this is no small matter. This is no itsy-bitsy thing. This is something serious. You've, you've been in disobedience, Moses. You didn't do what I told you to do with your own family. And he'll take you back every time to the place you got off track. Remember? We talked about that with regards to Pilgrim's Progress. You get off track, you got to get back. You got to get back and get back on the right trail, right on the right pathway, okay? He'll go ahead and help us get back on track and, and give us a chance to begin again. Now, it might be that it's something that you can't redo, okay? Now, the circumcision, of course, was something that he could go ahead and continue on with and do, but there might be some things that, you know, that, well, you can't really go back to that. But is there at least repentance? Is there at least, least a hating of the sin and telling God, I don't want to do this again? All right? So Moses dropped the baton so to speak, of obedience by failing to circumcise his son. He did. Because we don't think of that. We think of Moses and Abraham and all the rest of them as being just did everything God wanted them to do. But they didn't. Moses got into all kinds of trouble. Okay? Because he hadn't followed God closely enough. He thought he was ready to do God's bidding to face the leaders of the most powerful nation on earth, Pharaoh and the Egyptians and all of that. But first, there was a small matter of obedience that
that had to be rectified at home. I mentioned about this baton, to pass the baton. You know, there are some races they, where one runner passes the baton on to the next one, and then he takes off. And, and then the next one takes off, and I don't know how many you have, four or five maybe you might have. The baton is passed from runner to runner, and the exchange can add or it can subtract seconds or even partial seconds to the runner's score. If the baton is dropped, it must be picked up. You can't just say, oops, and keep running. The runner who finishes the race without it, you don't have the baton, even if you finish in first place, you are then disqualified. When a sin of omission or commission, okay, omission or commission, in other words, you, something you do or something you've left out. Omission is something you've left out of what God wanted you to be about. That blocks your progress if you have the human power to do so. And that's what I'm saying. That if it's possible to go back and actually redo that thing, then I think that's what God wants. But it might be something that's already passed. It's what are you going to do about it or whatever. But where's the repentance? I mean, where's the turning from it? And you're not going to do it again. Hating it. Turning around. Going a different direction. That's repentance. Okay? You must go back and get it right. Only when you have done so are you truly ready to move on and take that baton further and hand it to the next one and the next one and the next and so forth and be and be blessed by God in the race of life. The promises the promises are full. God does not, let's just picture a, a glass, okay? You have a glass and you put a little bit of water in it. It comes up about a half an inch, maybe, maybe a couple of inches or whatever. That's not full. You put more in, it's still not full. You put more in, you go clear to the brim, okay? To the point of overflowing of being overfilled, praise God. And, and that's, not, that's not only Jesus doing that. We need to be on the other side of the equation truly wanting to receive of it. He's the one who gives the promise. We then can receive it. And there's a sense in which that is a promise. We are promising to God to receive the promise that Jesus wants to give us. All right? And so it's to the brim. It's all the way to the surface. And the, if you've ever filled a glass to the brim, you can go higher than the glass. Okay? Because water has a tension to it. And it will... I wish I would have done that. That would have been a great children's sermon. But anyway, I just thought of it. But you could fill it to the brim, but your water's going to look like this. Okay? Your water's going to be over the glass, all right, because of the tension. Water, it sticks to itself. Not a very good way to put it, I suppose, but that's the idea. So the promises that are to Jesus, Jesus turns right around and gives to us. Now remember, he 
he was able to not only receive those promises from the Father and then pass them along to us, okay? But he, but he was able to do that because he didn't allow for any sin to come in and mess up the water. All right? And, it, and these promises then are filled up and filled over, okay, by, to us by extension. Remember what Tozer said. He said, every promise is ours, okay? And there is a difference in claiming a promise, claiming the promise and then appropriating it, claiming it and living it. There's a difference in those two things, okay? You can't just, because you'll hear people say, well, I'm just claiming the promises, and then they live like the devil. You know, that's, that's not what we're talking about. It's, it's a matter of, claiming it of course first of all uh, and, and receiving it that's a better word I think uh, and then appropriating it letting it become life within us I want you to notice that every promise is overfilled simply because our God is great and the Bible says because he's great he's greatly to be praised Amen? Greatly to be praised. Look at the next couple of verses or so. Oh, well, let me pick it up at uh, verse 5. Okay? And I'll do this briefly. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city. I mean, he already, he already tried one attempt. Didn't work. So now the devil takes him up into the holy city and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple, way, way up in the air, probably the highest point, okay? Pinnacle of the temple. It's where they sounded the trumpet at certain festivals. And saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, once again, there's Satan, if, 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 you know, I'm not gonna admit that you are the son of God, but if you are, if you're trying to show people that you are and think that you are, cast yourself down. Jump. Go ahead. Jump. For it is written, he shall get... Now, here's Satan. Look at, look at what he's doing that he didn't do before. He gives the scriptures. Satan does. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone and Jesus said unto him it is written thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God and again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain way up and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him all these things I will give thee if, notice that's one of Satan's favorite words, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And that would have about, that, listen, the first temptation would have done it if, if Jesus would have fallen for it. The second temptation would have really sealed his fate 
He wouldn't have been able to be the Savior. He wouldn't have been able to take away people's sin. It wouldn't have mattered that he went to a cross. He would have just suffered and died, and that would have been the end of it if Jesus had been disobedient. Because the only way that Jesus is able to do all that Jesus does is because he's without sin. Amen? He's without sin. If thou wilt fall down and worship me. And that's when Jesus said, get thee hence, Satan. Get out of here, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then the devil leaves him, praise God. Not that he doesn't come back. Oh, I'm sure he came back many times after that just trying to push him over the edge, so to speak. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. We're told the devil leaves him, at least for a season. He's not going to keep it up and keep it up at that moment, right? For if we have the life of Jesus within us, And letting that life then fill the room. You know, take up all the room. Like we talked about in the Christmas book, right? Not just a little bit of room, but he's got the whole room. Okay? Then there will be no room for Satan. And do you remember what the scripture says? It says because he doesn't have any part of Satan in him that he was able to go the whole distance, all the way to the end, without any sin at all. He didn't, he didn't give in to any of it. He was overfilled. Jesus was overfilled, right up to the brim and beyond. Okay? <laughs> overfilled with the overfilling promises of God. Glory be to God. That's how it started out. It looks real positive with the baptism. And then comes Satan to muddy up the waters, to really make it look like it's just not going to work out at all. But if you let Jesus fill you with his promises to the brim, and I have my hand curved because that's exactly what the water looks like. You fill a glass with water, it's got that water tension that allows for the water to be higher than the glass without spilling. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory be to God. Overfilled. 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 That's what he's calling us into. Because it's Jesus who already has the promises of God overfilled and then he passes them along to us. Amen? That's, that's what God wants to do for each one of you. That's what he wants to do for everybody out there too. That's what he wants to do for everybody. The Bible says, whosoever. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe the overfilling promises of God, hallelujah, amen, will not perish, 
but have everlasting life. I stuck that over the promises in there, but you get the idea. That's what God is trying to do, and that's what God is going to do for the people that will want it, the people that will believe it, the people that will not just believe it. It's got to be deeper than that. Live it. Let it become life within. Okay? That's what God's going to do. So over these next few weeks, and we don't have more than four or five. I didn't count them down exactly. But we have four or five Sundays probably before we get to the middle of February. And in the middle of February, the Lenten season starts. We're going to be going through, not going to cover every story. We can't. There's far too many stories for four or five weeks. But we're going to pick some wherever God leads it to go. We need to see, okay? We need to see just who Jesus really is. And we'll do that by taking seriously the word of God. Amen? The word of God. Father, I want to thank you, dear God, for this truth here today. Help us, Lord, to be fully given, dear God, to what you have here today, even and, and whatever other times you give us, Lord willing, we want to thank you, dear God. We want to praise your name. We want to lift up the name of Jesus and, and allow him to be everything in us, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We give you glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.